Good morning, Jerry. Good morning, Brother John. How are you doing, sir? Feeling good. A little worn out. A lot of sports over the last two days. Uh, I'm a little blurry-eyed, but I think I'm going to make it the My show. calves are sore. My calves are sore from all the jumping. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, man. Yeah, obviously, this is the NCAA Women's Basketball Show. Uh, yes. We'll get to that in a bit, but we are the pro show. We talk about four things. First things, we talk about an animal, and we have a seasonal animal. The animal this season, this six-month period, is the whale. So we have a whale story. We also have a word, a word that we were unfamiliar with before or that serves a good purpose in explaining what we're about to talk about when we have our two takes where we talk about a major topic that interested us during the week or the weeks before. And last but not least, we have two groaners, groaners. dad jokes that we tell. So that's it. Yes. I'm Jerry. And who are you? And I am John. Two brothers. Yes. We actually sometimes get, get along. Particularly for the show. Yeah, we do. We, do. we <laughs> usually get along for the show at least. Unless at one least. of us gets suspended. <laughs> That's only happened once. <laughs> only How happened come once. I can't forget that? Traumatic. I don't know. I we forget everything else. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, too bad we can't forget the trauma. Hey, what, 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 are you, what, are you, what are you wearing? What are you wearing? You got some, got some clothes on there? Maybe let's, let's start and finish with the top part only. Okay. I'm wearing a long sleeve Save the Whales t-shirt. Uh, it's Ooh. not really a t-shirt. It's almost a sweatshirt. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, it is wow. nice. How, how about you? Hey, I decided to break out my Season of the Lizard, www.bro.show oh. shirt that has that wonderful horned lizard just kind of perking its head Ooh. up as if it's looking at me uh, as I look yeah. down. And what the hell? Yeah. I mean, it's a great shirt. Black, nice and soft. Oh, yeah. Those were the days, the lizard days. Lizard days, not so long ago. <laughs> not so long ago, that's for sure. Okay, we got so. a sponsor. Oh, do we have a sponsor? Our sponsor is Save the Whales, a non-for-profit C501c3 organization uh, founded in 1977 by a woman named Maris, Maris uh, Sticken uh, Stecker. And she is, was, as a very young lady, very interested in saving whales, making sure that they were living the, the best lives they could. So she started her organization by having it funded with the shirt, the sale of T-shirts, something near and dear mm -hmm. to our hearts. Oh, yeah. So since then, this organization has grown, It, but it only has one paid employee, Maris, who takes a very modest salary. It's run by a group of volunteers that primarily educate young children on the importance of whales and, and preserving them. Uh, when mm. the occasion arises, though, they can come to the forefront and take care of specific projects. So they're mm. primarily located and do their work in, uh, on the Pacific Ocean. So there's, there's the deets, and mm -hmm. they have a great T-shirt that you can get. And perhaps you can talk a little yeah. bit about that since you are wearing it. This T-shirt, first of all, uh, we have links in our show notes, so you can visit their site to either buy one of their many T-shirts. I have just one, but there are others. Just find one you like and buy it. The money goes to the organization to keep up their good work. You can also just make a, a donation straight out. 
And so that's in the show notes. Check it out. Well, we got a pretty good whale story this week. We got a oh boy. What we decided to do was take a look at a little bit of the background of a very well-known novel, Moby Dick, by Herman Melville. Mm-hmm. And rather than talking about the novel itself, we decided to go and take a little look at the backstory. The backstory is a story about a uh, a, a whaling ship called mm-hmm. the Essex that in 1820 went on its merry way. You know, not this isn't what you call a three-day business trip when you go out whaling. Uh, we're talking <laughs> no. these things can these things can last like for years, a couple of years. Yeah. So yeah, they can. Ron Howard made a movie about this sailing uh, journey, adventure, this trip that was made. Uh, rather Nightmare. graphic. Uh, it, it tells a story that's that uh, inspired Herman Melville, but hardly does Melville's uh, novel tell the full back story. So Ron Howard directed a movie back in 2015 called In the Heart of the Sea. And what it is, it's a movie whereby they create this sort of... Uh, method of, of approaching this story by having Herman Melville fictionally talking to the last living survivor of this boat. And it is a story to be told, needless to say. Oh, yeah. Um, it is. And I think when you take a look at it, as much as we think about Moby Dick with respect to uh, the, the whale, Captain Ahab, this uh, yeah, sort of yeah. like one-on-one, this story, the backstory it tells, uh, is more general and gets a cast of characters in it. And it has some yeah. interesting themes to it. I think greed is a big piece of it. Ineptitude yeah. as it relates to the, the, the sailing, uh, it, 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 it's, it starts right away on, on a bad foot when the wrong guy is, a guy named, uh, Captain Pollard is responsible for the boat. And he has, he's basically gotten there through political means, hardly through skill set. And nepotism, the, actually. Yeah, and nepotism, that's what it is. I mean, he he has he has no uh, business uh, running this boat. And the thing, the good part is that he's got a really good first mate uh, mm-hmm. to, to take care of that. And uh, that so the story, you know, what they do is getting the oil. As soon as you get enough oil on the boat, you can get your merry way back home. So yep. the key to the exercise, how much danger are you going to put yourself into when you go out looking for the for that? And they are told that there is this this monstrous sperm whale out there, male, that is very aggressive as they turn the corner around South America and get on the other side, the Pacific side. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, they run into every bit of what they're told and probably a little bit more. Oh, um, yeah. So well, the the word is the word is just but this really happened. The sperm whales are very intelligent, so they stopped getting close to the coastline and went out way out to sea and figured the humans wouldn't follow them there, but a couple did, and this is well, one yeah. of the boats that did. It, it, it's like playing to your home ballpark. Hey, well, yep. hey, if you want to play in our park, come on, we'll, we'll take you on. We'll play. <laughs> we'll play. So I need mean, Ron Howard did a great job with respect to the filming, the authenticity, the realism. You get a real strong sense of of, of the, the the dangers, the tragedies that exist surrounding this this whole adventure, and it's got some pretty good uh, stars in it. It's got a guy named Chris uh, Hemsworth who plays the mm-hmm. first mate, very good. But yeah. I think the one that if you knew, looked for the whole cast, Tom Holland, who later went on to Spider Man fame. 
is plays the young uh the youngest uh person on the boat and uh, and actually the youngest survivor of the whole ordeal and the, the survivor the yeah that yeah that he ends up interviewing melville and the, the interview is done by melville by uh the, so that was it but i think you could probably uh i personally I'm not that much into the history. I respect, and I think when we take a look just quickly, the reviews were I would call mixed. I I don't think there was a review that I that I read. Even the worst reviews had something good to say about it, using words impressive, you know, in yeah. terms of the way that the whole thing was done. But it is a dark story. I mean, Ron Howard, you usually at the very good least, times. he might have his. Yeah. Um, he's a good time. Uh, he's a happy ending guy usually, and usually. he took on a and he took on a task here. And I think there, there's an expectation. We say, oh, Ron Howard movie. Let's all get together and buy, get some popcorn and have some fun, family. Uh, not quite is no. the way this one plays out. You may not, finish, you may not finish your popcorn. <laughs> yeah, you might You might end up uh, – some of your you popcorn might just come up if, if you don't, if you're not careful. Uh, $100 million budget, and it was financially – they call it a flop. It actually wasn't quite that bad. I think when they include the overseas uh, budget, uh, overseas sales uh, revenue, it, it had about ninety-three million. So it lost a little, well, seven million bucks. Um, yeah. So that's well, it, went on, it's, it but, went on HBO. It went on HBO. So I think it got pretty good. Yeah, I uh, think it uh, in the long run, it's probably you know it, it's turned the corner and it's in the black. Uh, but I think you can tell us a little bit about some of the. The, the ins and outs as it relates to gathering the oil that was so important back in the 1820s because that's the way that we generated the white in our yeah. lamps. So, yeah. uh, yeah. it, 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 you know, you think about gasoline and cars, well, think <laughs> about whale oil and lamps, you yeah. know, and that's yeah. kind of the way to kind of take a look at how strong and important this industry was back in the early 1800s. But they, yeah. maybe you could give us a little bit of the details as they uh, they did actually get one whale at the front end of the thing, not enough uh, whale oil for them to come home. And no. that was done. I, I just couldn't believe how the realism that was put into making that. And any of the scenes with respect to it being on the sea were incredible, I thought. I thought they were, too. Yeah, the, the, the experience of sailing, they really, really uh, – communicated that to me anyway uh yeah their their ability to work as a team uh several of them, of them had been out together before whaling so they knew what to do there were some noobs that were breaking in and it was it was really interesting to me how quickly they could respond to events that occurred and how much know-how uh in order to be able to sail a big boat like that on rough seas you really yeah. have to be an intelligent person uh, and you have to have a comprehensive knowledge of nature and right. of all kinds of things, uh, hydraulics, uh, wind, uh, right. corrosion, you know, and teamwork and how to how to massage egos. That's a very small space to have right. that many vigorous, active men on, in. So uh, that alone made this thing almost worth watching. But what really made it worth watching was to watch how they handled the whaling. I considered whaling repugnant myself. But you have to admire the way they put this movie together. And the the oil, the whale oil itself, as John said, is used for lighting. But even after they had better ways to light things, they still continued to use whale oil, whale oil for lubrication of machines. And that, that has lasted into the 20th century. Uh, so that's been going on a long time. Uh, it's a superior kind of oil for many jobs. 
And uh, there's two kinds of oil you get off of a sperm whale, which they were hunting. Uh, one is you boil the blubber, you uh, cook the blubber to get all the oil out of the meat. And uh, then you have some meat left over that people eat. But uh, above and beyond that, it's the oil. They put it in barrels and they put it in, in the bottom of the ship. And, you know, they, they yeah. have a certain number of empty barrels and you got to fill the barrels and you can come home. But the big right. source of the best oil comes out of the head of the sperm whale. There's this huge virtual tank that they use for echolocation and pressure management when they do their thousand foot dives. And uh, that is they get every teaspoon of oil out of there. And right. Tom Holland, being the smallest guy in the crew, they cut a hole in the nose of the whale. And he had to go down inside there to scoop out the last. <laughs> it was like his uh, hazing initiation to the. It was to be part of the crew. Yeah, it was pretty yeah, good. The new guy, oh, the small guy, has to has to do that job. And that I was stunned to see that. Uh, I when I was a little boy, when I was eight years old, I, I studied whales and and I learned about uh, the head of a sperm whale and what was in there. And you know, when they first discovered sperm whales, they thought it was sperm. They called it spermaceti, and that's it's not, of course, but uh, it's it's waxy, milk, milky kind of kind of oil. So it also mm. has to be boiled and what have you. But it's very potent, very concentrated. So, and also I, I should point out real quickly that's where the main ingredient in most perfumes in those days came from sperm whales. So right. It was a, a waxy substance that they they uh, excrete and, and also put into their intestines to keep the beaks of the squids from uh, tearing up their intestines. So that it's called ambergris. So that is still used to this day in uh, some, some perfumes, unfortunately. So, right. uh, yeah, out of that, you know, we got our word. And so my ears were perked up the whole last week to think about whale. So all of a sudden, I heard somebody use the words white whale. Now, white whale, if you know a little bit of the background of Herman Melville, is quite all, that's the, the, what they refer the, the whale to in, in, in the Herman Melville uh, Moby Dick. They call him the white whale. And the mm-hmm. idea of a white whale, then, is, generally speaking, is an objective, it's an objective that is relentlessly and obsessively pursued, but with difficulty in achieving so in other words, it's that mission impossible that drives you nuts is what yep. it boils you down to. And I'll give yep. you an example uh, sentence. Uh, Leonard, Lieutenant Gerard's pursuit of Richard Kimball was the white whale, his white whale during the, his four years, the four years of the TV series, The Fugitive. So yep. that relentless pursuit that uh, Lieutenant Gerard had for Richard Kimball is a good example of how that kind of drove him nuts. Every, we kind of got yep. to see that every, every week. On back in the 60s when this was a popular TV series. And so, and where did I run into this? Yeah, he was an ESPN where? commentator who has had an inability to predict the, the, uh, the entry of DePaul University into the women's NCAA final uh, women's tournament the last two years. And last year what he did is he predicted they would get in. This year he predicted they, 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 they would not. not. And sure enough, it happened just the opposite. So what he says is that DePaul is my white whale. And I thought that was pretty good. There you are. <laughs> that was very good. And that takes us right into our two takes topic, which is Women's March Madness, the NCAA yes. Women's Tournament. Wow. wow. Yeah, wow. And, 
Yeah, I could say I'll give a little background. You know, the, everybody yeah. knows about the what's called March Madness, which now is also the women's tournament. We're pleased to to to, to announce. Yeah, last year they but, couldn't use those words. Right. So mm-hmm. what do we what do we have? We've got a we've got the um, a tournament uh, that begins back in 1982. The men's long time before that started by the NCAA. Uh, started with 32 teams, and it has since then uh, grown to be 68 teams with what they call four play-in games that gets you to the 64, that nice round number that eventually ends up with the final four and then with a winner. Uh, we find out that this, this tournament, as it has progressed through the years, has really had two very dominating teams, starting with Tennessee that was coached by Pat Summit. And mm-hmm. uh, Tennessee was probably, I would call, the, the dominating team of the of the 1980s, early 1990s. And all of a sudden, upon the scene arrives the University of Connecticut, which then took over that, that, that title of being the dominating team and then marched that all the way into the 2000s and was just overwhelming. In recent years, uh, it's, it, there's some interesting things. Um, I think that uh, UConn has been in the Final Four the last 13 years. They have never lost a final game. They've lost in the Final Four, but they've never lost that final game to become the NCAA champions. So what we have is we have a tournament that it's got a great history at this point. And this last year, uh, I it, it, all the games are on TV. I mean, all 68 going into the 64 games or on TV, yeah. anywhere from ESPN, ABC. So yesterday, where, where do we stand right now? This tournament actually, the play-in games took in earlier to get to the 64. The 64 started their games yesterday, of which we had 32 teams playing 16 games. And then we'll have the remaining 32 do 16 games today to get down from uh, so that we have the first round completed. They will then continue on Saturday and, and maybe Saturday and Sunday. So uh, that's kind of the background, but it's amazing as we see the stories that have evolved on the tournament even yesterday. We actually had six of the top eight teams uh, play yesterday. Uh, that included uh, three number one seats and and three and one uh Let's see, in, in three, uh, four seats. So we had, we had, we, wait, we had four games all together. So we had a lot of different, a lot of action. Uh, yeah, we did. And they're uh, pretty, they're pretty lopsided. The first, the, this, the, yeah, my observation, they're it, pretty lopsided. They are. I mean, you're talking about a, you, there's four sections, four regionals, and each regional has 16 teams. So that means mm-hmm. if you're a one seed, you're playing a 16 seed, which is going to be a pretty lousy, Team. So yesterday, the, of the three of the four, South Carolina is by far the best team in the, ranked, et cetera. They were 30 and two during the season. They ended up uh, being considered the number one ranked team, the number one seed. They played yesterday and they just trounced Howard. So there was mm-hmm. that was a no contest. I mean, you could turn that off after a couple minutes because you pretty well knew how that was going to going to end. Yep. So then what we've got is we've got the, uh, we, we have the, one of the other ones, the number two seed is Stanford. They also played yesterday. They're the, they're yep. the, the, they're, they're the champions right now. They won last year. Yep. They ended up, they were, they were 29 and three, ranked number two. They won the Pac 12 tournament and that's what got them in. 
And they again, they won by almost uh, by almost 40 points themselves against a you know a number 16. Yep. So the last one that we had an opportunity to see was Louisville. Louisville is ranked number four. They were the four, uh, fourth seed. They won 83 to 51. Um, and they, you know, so we've got three of the four done. So who do we left with? NC State. NC State plays today. And, you know, what's interesting is we've got stars on both sides. I think yesterday's highlight of the three games, the number one seed games we saw that you see in the, the newsreels is we had a woman dunk uh, for uh, Stanford, six foot one, woman by the name of Fran uh, uh And she did, a, I mean, just a one-handed dunk, uh, like she pound the ball as she's ready to do a layup and all of a sudden said, oops, might as well just slam it. And that's what she did. Yeah, she was pretty impressive. And, um, and so we've got, then we got the, 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 the two seats and the yeah, two which seats are, are interesting kind of games. Those are interesting games because some of these two seats because of injuries and COVID could have been number one. Well, in addition to the fact that we've got Baylor who lost to Texas was considered a lock to be a final, to be a, a, a one yeah. seed. And yeah. so what we have is we've got a couple of teams. So we, of, of the four seats, we've got probably the best known as UConn. With Paige Beckers is a is a four is a it's a two seat. They're going to be playing today this afternoon. Again, they're playing a fifteenth seat, so they probably should have no difficulty winning. Mercer, they're playing Mercer. Yeah, they're yeah. playing Mercer. So that's one to be watched. We've also then got a a two seat in Texas. Texas beat South Carolina to win the SEC championship. So they're they're twenty seven and six. They're no slouches. And nope. so they're going to, they played yesterday and they ended up winning. So they're going to move on. And so then we've got, uh, we also have Iowa. Now, Iowa is no. probably one of the best known teams because they have by far, when I mean, you take a look at the stats, the best college, woman college basketball player. Um, they have uh, a woman by the name of uh, Caitlin Clark, six foot one, probably a small forward, maybe a shooting guard. And yeah. she is a star. She played yesterday. They ended up uh, beating Illinois State 98 to 58, and but you could see some of the the, the immense talent that this lady has. So wow. um, it, it, it'll be. She, she didn't really. She, she didn't really even have the afterburners on. I mean, she did. She was, I mean, she played and she played good, played well rather. But you you I've seen, you've seen her in other games. If you've ever watched her before, she is really incredible. She's a contemporary of Paige Beckers. Those two. Played uh, against each other last year in Final Four, so and lost, and Caitlin Clark lost. So this should, there may be, who knows, there may be a rematch. I mentioned Baylor early. They did play. They were a number. They were a number two seed, and they did win uh, against Hawaii again. A lopsided score, eighty nine to forty nine. They're going to get a chance to play South Dakota. Now this is a good example of a team where you take a look at a record. South Dakota, they're twenty eight and five. However, yeah. they're in a conference that it doesn't have a clear a near the competition that some of the other ones do, like the Big East, That's Connecticut, right. or SEC, mm-hmm. etc. So uh, their record's a little bit better than Baylor, but I would uh, an upset would be incredible. They're a number ten seed. So yeah. I would. That's the whole forefront as we take a look at the one seeds, the two seeds, at eight teams that probably I have the best chance of ending up going to the Final Four. But I would like to only comment about one other team myself, and that is Kentucky. Kentucky yeah. is known, known primarily for their men's basketball, which is a which is kind of a laugher because they got the, they got upset yesterday. So when they're left with you got if you're going to root for Kentucky, 
jump on board and root for the women. Um, but there, you take a look at the record. It's 19 and 11. And you say 11 losses and they're in, they're in the tournament. Well, here's the reason they are because they started their momentum. They were, they rode, they rode the, the crest all the way into the tournament by winning the SEC championship, which means they had to go through three ranked teams, LSU, Tennessee, and number one, South Carolina to win yep. their tournament. And as a they result did. of that, they are, they're a number six seed because their overall record isn't that good. They're ranked number 15 in the AP rankings. But huh. sure enough, uh, they are going to be playing Princeton this afternoon. So that's a game to, to watch, I think. Uh, I think it's amazing. So. It'll be, that'll be a fun one, uh, to get involved in. So we're kind of in the throes of it here. Uh, there we are. As we take a look at it. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it, they play a style of ball that's just really fun to watch. I think, what I notice with the teams that are really, really good, I, I notice that they have depth. They're yeah. able to. And I think one of the, the things that um, as much as Connecticut, UConn has, has had this, this incredible history, even last year was in the Final Four with Paige Beckers being the, the, the freshman, or actually the, the, considered one of the best stars of, of, of all NCAA play basketball last year. They, this year, Paige was out a big portion of the year, which allowed them to really test some of the other players and put them out under the the fire of a real game in really intense competition. And I think it's it's voted well for them because now Paige is back and she's ready to rock and make things happen. So. Yeah, and she has some teammates who could pull the boat on their own. There's yeah, a lot of pressure off of her. Very, very, they did very well, particularly towards mm-hmm. the end of the season. Yeah. Uh, their overall record... Let's see what, what they do. They not were like uh, twenty. They were twenty-five and five. Not, not, five, not yeah. five very losses, good. So. Five losses, um, but they finished up pretty strong, and they did win their tournament. Real strong. So yeah, they did. And in the margin of of win is was huge. The last season, you know, they were like thirty, forty points every game, and they beat some of these teams that are considered fierce competitors now. Right. Creighton, for example, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, I think the big thing, uh, real quick here, we're running out of time, so I'll, I'll, I'll make this quick. Uh, the big thing, I, I'm new to this. I'm not, not a basketball nut, per se. John isn't either. He's a baseball nut, uh, excuse me, aficionado. And, uh, yeah, you're welcome. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a little new to this. So what I noticed, two things. If you are new to, to women's basketball and you think, well, it's not real basketball. The men play real basketball. No, no. They play in some ways. They play much pure form of, of uh, basketball than the men do. There's no traveling. They call the traveling calls. Yeah, uh, assiduously. So it's it's real basketball. Number one. Number two. You can identify with the women players more because they play like human beings. They don't play like aliens. <laughs> <laughs> right. So it's yeah. Like, yeah. I, I mean, I appreciate uh, like the Texas Hill Country because these. Tall hills, big hills, are very identifiable to human beings. You know, you can the scale is not so out of proportion like the Rocky Mountains. You know, so there you can actually deal with uh, hills. You can't deal with mountains; they'll kill you. So, same thing with these these uh, women basketball players. It's just a different sport. Stop thinking about these two sports as being the same. They're not exactly the same. Yeah, and uh, you can enjoy it just like women's soccer is exactly the same. Women play soccer right. differently than men, and women play basketball differently than the men. And they are tremendous athletes. They show incredible grit, incredible competitiveness, and uh, their joy 
is is palpable you when they win and your team wins you really feel it so i would encourage everybody to give it a shot yeah it's it's a show it's it, it they do it up i mean the benches are incredible to watch the way they react different oh, things yeah. uh it's all very cool i would call the men's basketball cartoonish <laughs> it's like yeah, a space jam space jam <laughs> yeah space jam yeah yeah yeah, compared compared to the finesse with which the women play, I, w- I would have to uh, agree with you. Yeah. Hey, All right, let's move on. Are we, ready for hey, we got some groaners. <laughs> so we got groaners. Yeah, got two groaners. Groaners. groaners provided to us by Vincent Anthony Water Jr., commonly referred to yeah. as the coach. Definitely. And I felt under the circumstances with us talking basketball, we just got to continue that theme. So I'm going to give you two basketball groaners. Here's the first one. Where is a basketball player's favorite place to eat? A little hint, a tall basketball player's favorite place to eat. Where is a tall basketball player's favorite favorite place place to eat? eat? I have no idea. Dunkin' Donuts. Oh, man. (laughs) That was sitting right there waiting for me. All right. right. Okay, this is what I consider to be a very, it's a classic. I'm not saying it's a slam dunk for you to get. But okay, here here's this one. Who is considered the poet uh, of basketball? Who's considered the poet of basketball? Longfellow. You got it. You finished strong, young man. <laughs> <laughs>